The following production is part of the Play Some Video Games Podcast Network. And welcome to Board with Video Games, the gaming podcast that strives for the right balance of coverage for games you play on your table and on your television. You can think of us as the sometimes I feel so insecure and the and love so distant and obscure of gaming podcasts. We're a proud member of the PSVG Podcast Network and still be part of the Dice Hard Network as well. I am one of your hosts, Kyle, and joining me on this co-op adventure is, is nobody. That's right, it's a solo show this week, everyone. A little something different for you. We had some scheduling issues. Long story short, Josh is on vacation and having a wonderful, wonderful time. And we were supposed to record this, the show early, but one of my dogs had to go down to get sick and I had to take her to an emergency vet appointment. Uh, she's doing okay, I think. Um, she's you know still in a little a little lethargic and things like that but we're, we're trying to figure out what exactly is going on with her but uh, as a result of that you know josh and i weren't able to touch base to record before he left for vacation but i definitely did want to make sure you our dear listeners did not miss out on a show so as a result here i am trying out this solo podcast to see how things go now I've never done a podcast solo. This might be real bad. We'll have to see how it goes. I know it will definitely not be as good as it usually is since Josh isn't here to give you all of his thoughts and insights, but since everything was done on such short notice, rather than try to wrangle someone else in here, I said, hey, you know what? We'll try this solo show. We're almost to show number 200. We don't. We haven't really done a solo one yet, so let's kind of see how it goes. You know, it's going to be a short show this week. I will say that. I know usually when I say that, it ends up being a long show. But since it's just me, uh, definitely going to be short this week. Just going to focus on some topics in the board game world, some topics in the video game world, uh, give you my perspective and thoughts on some of those things, and we're going to kind of wrap up and call it a week. But, you know, we need to do some thanks to folks. So thank you so much for joining us this week. As always, if you have any feedback, questions, or suggested topics, hit us up at Board with VG on Twitter, or check out all the awesome stuff over on the Instagram, also Board with VG. We're a proud part of Play Some Video Games, and PSVG is on Patreon. We are thrilled with the support you have given us there thus far, and if you'd like to monetarily support what we do, you can find us there at patreon.com slash PSVG, just like some of our wonderful producers have, like Michael Masick, Edwin Callow, Stephen Keller, Nick Creature, Ben Moxham, Nick Fallhaber, Paul Calico, Devin Tyus, Josh Barboni, RJ Kern, Zach Adams, Joe Wilson, and of course, Horse Girl 69 We're also a member of the Dice Tower Podcast Network, so if you enjoy our conversations about board games and would like to dive deeper into that world, we encourage you to check out the Dice Tower podcast, as well as all the other members of the network. No matter what type of board games you enjoy, there's a podcast on the network that's right for you. So like I said, this week, you know, we're going to do things a little bit differently. I'm just going to take you through some news stories or some things that are kind of going on in the board game world. Uh, and then some of those things that are going on in the video game world, give you my thoughts and perspective on them. And then we're going to kind of wrap things up. So to start with, starting in the world of board games, Josh is going to be actually really sad about this one, that he isn't here, because we're going to be talking about two of his favorite games, uh, one being a board game, one being a video game, and that is Animal Crossing and Monopoly. Yes, there's a new version of Monopoly that comes out in August, unless maybe you already got it, question mark? And as you can probably guess from this, there is now a Monopoly Animal Crossing, which is officially releasing in August, but some retailers have already sold out about sold out of it. So what's going on? Well, we'll go over to our good friends over at Dicebreaker. I say good friends, not that I actually know them, but they just seem like real, real good people. Um, and their story over there from Chase Carter says, quote, giant toy and game publisher Hasbro officially announced Monopoly Animal Crossing on July 13th, letting fans of the, both the massively popular Nintendo video game and classic real estate mogul maker combine their interests when it hits retail and online stores August 1st. Except, copies found their way onto shelves over a week ago and are currently sold out from most major sellers such as Amazon and GameStop. 
Pre-orders are still available from certain sites. Online toy seller Entertainment Earth was directly linked in the Hasbro announcement sent to press. It isn't clear how Monopoly Animal Crossing jumped both its release day and pre-order announcement. A Reddit user named U slash Kaylee Sunflower was perhaps the first person to post it, though images of lucky fans who managed to grab the accidental stock soon propagated across social media. Side note, propagated. Really nice use of that word. Fans seemed pleasantly surprised by the crossover and spoke about it rushing to the nearest Walmart, Target, or local game store to buy their own. This led to the game selling out within days and apparently clogging pre-order backlogs to the point that even those ran out before the end of the week. When asked about the accidental early stocking and what might have caused it, Hasbro responded to Dicebreaker with an official, it's disappointing answer on July 6th. And that answer was, quote, We're excited to share Hasbro introduced Monopoly Animal Crossing New Horizons Edition today. In this Monopoly board, game players can enjoy island life and immerse themselves in the colorful and creative world of Animal Crossing New Horizons. Moving around the board with tokens inspired by the video game, players compete, or excuse me, complete island tasks and meet other characters. Instead of buying properties and paying rent, players collect bugs, fish, fossils, and fruit. Okay. I'm going to kind of end there as far as reading the story, but like I said, head over on over to Dicebreaker if you want to read the rest of it. Kind of a disappointing statement from Hasbro that doesn't really indicate in any way, shape, or form how the game got out early. And to be very clear, it's not uncommon in some of the big box stores, Walmarts, Targets, to see board games released before they're supposed to or to be released and not be on the shelves. Those things happen all the time in those major retailers. But for it to be something like this, a game that has significant crossover appeal, you know, Monopoly in and of itself, no matter how much those in the hobby board game uh, group might you know talk down about monopoly and i'm excited on a side note to hear about josh's experience with monopoly deal on his vacation but no matter how much we might you know talk down about monopoly from time to time including dicebreaker themselves they had a a whole uh editorial about how bad monopoly was that's kind of where this you know josh going and getting monopoly deal came from but to have it be a monopoly game that's a crossover with animal crossing you know a nintendo property Uh, And having that just not get announced and instead just go out is pretty, I think, a pretty big slip up. Because clearly, since so many places put this game out, there there has to be some miscommunication somewhere in that pipeline. Because, you know, usually this will happen to me from time to time. I will go to my local big box store um, that, you know, sometimes those video game releases that are supposed to come out on a Friday will get stocked on the Tuesday because that's just when they're used to putting them out. Like things like that will happen at an individual store from time to time, but to have widely available must have indicated that there was no hold on or hold until notification that there was no real, nothing really preventing them uh, from putting this game out. And, you know, even sometimes when games are released earlier before they're supposed to, like you'll go grab it off the shelf. But then when you go to the register and you try to buy it, the register will sometimes, you know, say, hey, this isn't supposed to be released until XYZ date. Do not sell. And clearly none of that has happened. So I don't really know what's going on and, and why this happened. Uh, I think it's really disappointing for, I, I'm going to say I think it's disappointing for Animal Crossing fans, but I have a feeling that really hardcore Animal Crossing fans were likely really plugged into all the Animal Crossing news and what's going on here. So I think there's a good shot they may have gotten this and a good shot that they may have gotten it early uh, as a result. I will say in looking at the art and the pictures that are available, it looks really cute. It looks a lot like Animal Crossing. Uh, I'm not obviously an Animal Crossing person, but in looking at this, I can see the appeal if you were someone who's into that uh, where you're going to, I think, see a lot of iconography and other things you recognize. And, and the figures that you play with are all very Animal Crossing looking. Uh, so, yeah, you know, this is, a, like I said, a bit disappointing that it leaked like this or was released <laughs> before an announcement. Uh, but I do hope and, and, and anticipate that most of the people who got this probably were those who were very plugged into Animal Crossing social medias and, and probably the people who would have been pre-ordering. So while I do feel that some people have missed out, I don't necessarily know if it's more people than would have missed out just with the pre-order in general, if that makes sense. Like, not everyone who wanted to get this game was going to be able to get it. So I don't know that this debacle 
has caused suddenly more people to not be able to get to the game that we're going to before. But what I do think and what feels bad about it is, is that if you weren't plugged in or if you didn't happen to catch the post or if you're on vacation for a few days, uh, suddenly, you know, you weren't able to get in on this. And that's always a bad feeling. We talked about that with console pre-orders and everything else. It always is a bad feeling when you're when you're trying to be part of the group or there's something you really care about. Uh, and then you can't. And that, that feels poopy. No one wants that. So uh, the one thing I will say about the board that I, I find a curious decision is that the for the most part, the go space, the visiting jail space, the free parking space, and the go to jail space all look exactly like the game, like Monopoly. Like those ones really don't look too much change. There's a little like tweak on the go uh, spot. But other than that, those other three for sure are, are basically the same as Monopoly always has been. And they really stand out and look a, a bit unique uh, in comparison to the rest of the board. So that's just to me an interesting artistic choice there. But yeah, let me know what you think. You know, listeners, hit, hit us up on you know the social media. Let us know. Monopoly Animal Crossing, were you someone who was able to to snag this? Did you see it and, and take advantage? Is this something that you missed out on and are disappointed by? Or, you know, are you indifferent? Is this something that really just isn't quite speaking to you? Uh, and that's totally okay, because not every game is going to be for everyone. All right. Next on the list, then, is a new Kickstarter. And it's a Kickstarter that... I am pretty excited about because it's from a or connected to a game that I played a whole lot last year. Uh, this story also coming from those fine folks over at Dicebreaker. Again, Chase Carter reporting. And that is Assassin's Creed Valhalla fans fun Kickstarter for physical version of dice game or log within an hour. That's right. So if you are familiar with Assassin's Creed Valhalla, there's a game that you play in it called Orlog. Uh, similar to other games and other RPGs, especially that have had games within them. Uh, so Orlog is, you know, a chance for you to sit down and play this game within the game against other NPCs. Uh, you, there, are, you know, trophies associated with it. You can earn gear and, and experience and all that stuff for defeating these other Orlog players. Uh, and it's a pretty simple game. It's a pretty straightforward game of rolling dice. You know, using what those dice faces are, you use those dice to fight against uh, your opponent. And the goal is, is whittling down their health eventually until it gets to zero. And as soon as this game was seen in within Valhalla, uh, there was an immediately a desire uh, to see a physical version of it. And we now have one, uh, which is pretty exciting. The the If you go check out the Kickstarter, currently as of time of recording, it's at $553,000 on a goal of $59,000 um, with a little over 9,000 backers. Now, the nice part about this is, is, you know, Josh and I bemoan probably too much the cost of board games these days. Uh, and right now, I don't know if it's still available. Oh, no, that one's no longer available. Sorry, the early bird is done. So a regular getting just the standard version of the game uh, is going to run you about 39 US dollars which isn't too bad. And it's it's a pretty good amount of stuff you're getting in the box for 39 bucks. Now, Orlog is a two-person only game. Uh, so it is something that you're going to have to have another person to play with. This isn't really something you can play yourself or it's not going to be something that you can play in groups of four or anything like that. Uh, but you are getting, you know, a, a nice amount of stuff uh, for that $39. Now, shipping's not included. Uh, as we know that the, the shipping fiascos that have befallen Kickstarter these days, uh, US shipping is looking to be about $15 is what they're telling us right now. Uh, we'll see what happens when we actually, uh, you know, do our backer kit and figure out exactly, you know, what they're charging us for it. Uh, but that is currently, you know, what they're looking at. Uh, with that also to be said, the current ship date or estimated delivery date is December of 2021. Now, we've talked a ton about the challenges that board games are having getting shipped uh, and that global shipping is just so expensive right now. Literally create, you know, the shipping containers are quadruple quintuple the price that they used to be for, and for small board game makers, uh, that's not possible. Really. That's not something that they can, they can afford to do. That's not something that they took into account when, when creating their Kickstarters. And it's, it's really posing a challenge for knowing what to do and how to you know, be genuine and authentic with your backers, but also not put yourself out of business. Um, so yeah, so the manufacturer, the creator of this game is Pure Arts. 
uh, which is not a super well-known board game maker, if that if that makes sense. Um, so Pure Arts is are the ones who are making it. Looks like they're working maybe in conjunction with Matigo potentially um, to to get this out. But they have done a lot of. I think they are more of a collectibles company, if I am aware that that's kind of more of what they do. Um, is that sort of of collectible um, statue and, and things like that. So they're really not known for their games, uh, but that's okay. That doesn't mean that the, this is like bad by any means. I think it just means it's helpful to know, uh, you know, who the producer of this is. Is that it's not going to be your typical um, board game manufacturer. Now, with that, the other thing to keep in mind though is that this game, since it's coming directly from the video game, there's no real design work as far as how does the game play uh, that needs to happen. Like the game rules uh, and how the game works is all done. It's just, Hey, we got to write, we got to write rules and all that other good stuff. Um, But Hey, you know, Orlog, I had a lot of fun playing it overall. It's something that I am currently backing this. Um, (laughs) Excuse me. I I did get in at the early bird level. So it's a little bit less about $35 is what I paid. Uh, but if you are a huge fan of Assassin's Creed Valhalla and you're really excited about playing some Orlog, you can get the Tavern Edition, which is a bit more. So it pushes $200 uh, for U.S. dollars. But you do get quite a bit of fun stuff with it. So in addition to getting the game, you know, obviously that's going to come with it. You're also going to get uh, the official Assassin's Creed Valhalla horn replica cast in resin with a wooded display stand and an Orlog linen game mat. So you're getting some fancier uh versions of the game i think some of the 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 bits for the game i think are a little bit nicer don't quote me on that um and then like i said the linen game mat and the horn replica is what you're getting as well so hey if you are a huge fan of ac valhalla and there's a number of backers at this level uh you can get some cool extra little swag there and some extra things that you can display elsewhere uh to show how big of a fan you are so like i said if you're interested in Orlog or, or an AC Valhalla, or maybe you weren't a big fan of AC Valhalla, but you really enjoyed Orlog, I uh, know that you can, you know, get yourself that physical game now. Uh, there are more stretch goals coming. Um, they did send out a Kickstarter update recently that they just, things funded a little faster than they anticipated, so they don't have quite all their stretch goals up, but they're going to be adding more uh, in the week that you're listening to this. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of bringing virtual board games to physical spaces. I think that's a really cool thing to do. It allows you to play this without having to jump into AC Valhalla. And it obviously allows you to play this while sitting across from another person having a beverage, if you'd like. Uh, You know, not saying that you should get into any tavern brawls or anything like that by playing this. But uh, really niche things like this, I think, are really cool. And that there's a really select community who's going to be really excited about this. I'm one of those people. And Kickstarter is a way that can make those things happen. So this is something I... Hope happens more. We don't have a lot of video games that have board games inside of them. But anytime that we can have something like this created, I'm glad that they're going to that extra step to do it. I'm glad that it's being successful. And I'm really glad it's, you know, if you want to, available at a pretty reasonable price uh, for what you're getting. So, uh, like I said, go ahead. Check out the Orlog Kickstarter right now. Should be. It, it is trending real, real well. Uh, by the time you hear this, though, just be aware this is a short Kickstarter. Uh, it just opened a few days ago, and as of today, there's only eight days to go, which means by the time this episode posts, it'll be about six days to go. So you have about a week uh, that you can go in, check it out, see if it's something that's going to interest you. Um, but yeah, check it out. You know, Orlog, fun in Assassin's Creed Valhalla, could also be fun on your tabletop. All right, so then the final board game topic this week is we're going to talk about a little bit uh, about 2020 in review if you would from a sales standpoint so obviously 2020 was a pretty unique year for all of us uh i don't think anything kind of went the way we anticipated it was going to and i don't know that in january of 2020 any of us thought that we'd be spending you know most of the next 12 months in our homes but hey that's what happened and on the plus side a lot of people were playing some board games, so that's pretty exciting. Um, this story comes from ICV2 and the good folks over there. Um, this comes from Milton Gripe. And it says that hobby game sales over $2 billion in 2020. And the story says, quote, Despite the many challenges of doing business during a global pandemic, hobby game sales in the U.S. and Canada grew 21% to $2.035 billion in 2020, up from $1.675 billion in 2019. 
Every category of games was up, fueled by stay-at-home orders that limited entertainment options. Collectible games contributed the biggest portion of the dollar growth, and RPGs the highest percentage growth. Results by channel were mixed, with the hobby channel, especially its online portions, Kickstarter, mass merchants, and large online retailers all up, and specialty retail chains down. Collectible games went into 2020 with good momentum. The category grew 19% in 2019, but 2020's 24% growth eclipsed that rate, and it could have been higher if printing plants had been able to keep up with demand. Hobby board games had shown signs of maturing in 2019, but that was quickly reversed as board games emerged as one of the few activities that could be done by small household groups during a pandemic. The category grew 19% to $435 million. So obviously, not going to go through the whole rest of the article, but just giving you a quick snapshot of the growth of board games in 2020. This was something Josh and I had talked a lot about and, and whether we thought hobby games were going to be successful during the pandemic. One thing that happened is that for a while there, Josh and I played a lot more games, but then played a lot less games as kind of time went on. And I think that's true for both of us because for us, or at least for me, uh, not that I don't love my partner dearly, but two-player board games, I mean, <laughs> there's only so long that that's, all, that's what you want to play, you know? Like, sometimes you want to get those three and four or eight or 12 or 15-player board games, and you just really couldn't during last year. So that really limited the games we were looking at playing, and because we have such an extensive collection, it made it really hard to commit to buying new games unless they were two-player exclusive or could definitely play two players and not as an uh, addition or with... Uh, significantly changed rules sometimes you'll see that where a game is like hey it plays two players but it's really meant for three four or five uh, and they'll be like hey you know make a fake third player when you're playing two or whatever else might happen some situations um, seven wonders off the top of my head that adds a different complexity to the game and the way that you put like you actually kind of are playing that third player and it's kind of one additional step or, or decision you get to make as a player uh, that makes it a little unique and different but when it's just kind of fully automated and there's really no rhyme or reason uh, to what that third player does it can be kind of frustrating and kind of challenging to have that done so uh, I'm happy that overall things were good. Now, it does say that especially retail chains were down. Uh, to me, that tells me things like Barnes & Noble uh, versus the Hobby Channel being up, which would be like your friendly local game store, I think, um, is kind of the way I'm reading that. And it is nice that the online portions of the of those hobby areas were, were able to be successful. I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that the Hobby Channel was successful mostly because of the bigger hobby online things like cool stuff like i don't necessarily know that my local hobby channel like stores did awesome online i'm sure they did fine i mean they're still in business they're still kicking it and doing their thing but I, I don't know that they overall like the small mom and pop ones were going to be super successful i'm guessing it's the bigger you know um tcg player uh, um mini miniature market cool stuff inc like those places that really carried um the hobby channel. And I could be wrong. That's just kind of my gut instinct in reading all of this. But yeah, so nice to see that games are still successful. I'll be really curious about what 2021 holds for board games uh, with how much spending happened and with how significantly these areas were up. I can't imagine that that growth is going to continue next year. Maybe it will, but it would not surprise me at all to see a number higher than 2019, but lower than 2020 for 2021. Um, obviously if it keeps growing awesome, that's, that's good. Happy to see, you know, gamers and designers and publishers be successful and that gamers are able to find the games they want to and able to, you know, get in the games that they want. But with the global shipping crisis and everything else going on, I, I just have a hard time believing that we're going to see growth over 2020 and 2021, but who knows? I, I could be wrong. I'm definitely not a business expert. I know, right? Me talking about things that I'm not an expert in. Whoa, is me and who should ever do that? But Again, happy to see that the hobby was successful and sustainable over the year and that for the most part, uh, businesses tied to it despite the pandemic were able to be successful as well. So here's the continued growth, uh, though I doubt it for the next year, but hopefully that that is something that can happen. But glad to see that, you know, 2020 was still a, a solid year for board games. All right, with that, we're going to kind of switch topics here. We're going to go and talk about video games for a bit. The first thing we're going to talk about is our good friends at Ubisoft. I don't know why everyone's good friends this this week. I don't know what the deal with that is, but hey, that's what I'm going with. Uh, have they've adjusted their schedule for 2021? They have. Um, this is coming from Games Radar and Connor Sheridan over there. Uh, 
The story says, quote, Riders Republic and Rainbow Six Extraction delays have been officially announced by Ubisoft, though at least the former is still set for 2021. Ubisoft announced the two delays back to back. Both games were originally supposed to ship in September, with Riders Republic coming first on September 2nd and Rainbow Six Extraction following on September 16th. They'll still arrive in that order, but the new release dates mean Riders Republic is now scheduled to drop just under two months later on October 28th, and Rainbow Six Extraction will follow early next year in January 2022. Ubisoft is holding off on confirming a specific day for Extraction's arrival. Now, we all knew that video games were going to be delayed significantly this year. I think the idea of a game getting delayed this year is just not surprising in the least right now. It is something that uh, we all anticipate and can all see coming. However, the fact that these games have already been delayed once and now are being delayed again, and maybe for Extraction, who knows, maybe it'll happen even again after that, is a bit disappointing. You you would think that in 2020, if you're going to announce the release date of a video game, like an actual release date, not a window, but a, a, this specific day the game is coming out, that you'd be pretty confident in it or you wouldn't announce it because delays are just so regular right now. It seems like the best way and and where you're going to get the most understanding from people is just be like, hey, we're shooting for, you know, Q3 2021, I guess, holiday, we could say to make things less confusing because then it'd be Q3 2022 because fiscal year, the year it ends. Anyway, neither here nor there. So you could say, hey, we're shooting for holiday, but you know, we'll let you know a firm date once we have one and once we know we can we can get it. And I think most people would be okay with that. Um, you know, when when these games got dates, I kind of became under the assumption that, oh, they must be pretty confident about this. They must know pretty solidly that this is, you know, what they want to do and, and when they want to do it. So just seeing this push uh, and especially how significant the push is for extraction uh, is surprising, but not unexpected. I guess can something be surprising, but also not unexpected? I don't know. Anyway, Riders Republic is a game that the more I see, the more I'm interested in, but I, I don't know if I'm still fully committed to it. Rainbow Six Extraction at this point, I, I, I almost feel like I can't play the game, which I know is silly, but since I haven't played Rainbow Six Siege and I know they're technically not connected per se, like the operators are the same and all that good stuff, but I just feel like I'm not in that universe, so it'd be really odd for me to join in an extraction. Um, and the delay, obviously, mostly I'm guessing due to COVID, but maybe they're struggling a little bit with the identity of that game too. Um, what they showed, you know, during their Ubisoft forward looked pretty cool, but you know, now we're going to have to wait until 2022 to get our hands on it. So yeah. So just a couple delays there. Like I said, Riders Republic now coming out October 28th, Rainbow Six Extraction now will come out in January, 2022, but a specific day has not yet been determined. However, with that, maybe we have some good news coming because Ubisoft also said, hey, tomorrow being Monday, so you will know the answer to this by the time you're listening to this podcast, but I don't know it while I'm making this podcast. Uh, tomorrow, things are going to get wild. Tune in at 11 a.m. Pacific for the worldwide reveal of a brand new game in the Tom Clancy's universe. So this got people all excited about what could this game be now everyone obviously wants a new splinter spell so immediately people are like "Ooh, are we getting a new splinter cell and then ign a lot long after this tweet came out posted a little bit of gameplay of like hey we have some gameplay of the game that's being announced tomorrow check it out you know here's our exclusive look well that clearly isn't some isn't splinter cell per se now, what more than likely this is, um, is there was a game leaked slash a rumored game uh, that came out a bit ago that a lot of people thought was going to be at the Ubisoft Forward. Uh, the project's codename was Battlecat. And basically what this game is anticipated to be is a free-to-play um, game where you take, where it's like the factions of the, the Divisions factions, um, Breakpoints, Wolves, and Splinter Cells, Echelon all against each other. So it's a you know team versus team versus team type of a game. Now, the thing that's hard to know about Battlecat, is it really like all three factions are represented all the time? Is it like you get to pick players and it's like, you know, 
multiplayer free like potentially a free for all death match potentially a team death match but you can like mix and match players from all the series like those are the things we don't really know right now like can are you mixing powers from all the different groups into one character those are things we don't know uh but ubisoft had mentioned not too long ago that they were looking at transitioning from you know solely relying so much on triple a games to starting to include some free to play games um and and to really start growing that portion of their business and they've had some free to play stuff uh some of it you know moderately successful trackmania turbo i think is kind of a game as a service i don't remember if it's actually totally free to play right now but definitely has like ongoing regular content updates that you can get uh, most of their games get supported long term obviously if you look at rainbow six siege and you look at for honor like long-term support for for what were 60 dollars box products but you then had things like hyperscape which by all accounts, I don't know anyone who plays Hyperscape right now. Uh, I know some people who tried it back when it first came out, but was meant to be this kind of free-to-play um, arena shooter uh, that was a kind of a battle royale, I guess, as well, uh, where where you had the ever-shrinking map that you were playing on, and it was playable in a free-for-all or in a team's setting. Um, I was going to try to take a quick look at Twitch and, and see how many people were watching people play Hyperscape right now, but my Twitch is not working. So maybe that'll come later. We'll have to wait and see. But all of, all rumors, though, point to this being a free-to-play game um, that you can kind of get into. Now, in the gameplay that has officially been revealed and the leaks that have happened since then, this is looking pretty generic. Now, that to me on the surface is disappointing. However... I have been dipping my toes into this little game called Arcadegeddon, which you will remember was revealed at PlayStation's last State of Play, um, early access game from the folks over at Elphonic, who have done uh, Friday the 13th, Predator Hunting Grounds, all that good stuff. So Arcadegeddon, when I saw the trailer, I was like, I don't really know. Like This doesn't look like a shooter that I want to play. Uh, but I've, now having played it, then that game is better than it has any darn right to be. Uh, that game's actually a lot of fun. So maybe this game, Battle Cat, the code name, who knows what the actual name is, uh, is going to be a lot of fun too. I, I don't really know. It is interesting that they are going to be releasing this now, that this update is coming you know, a month or so after they had their Ubisoft Forward event. I, I wonder why it wasn't there. Was there, they just couldn't get the trailer done? Was there something else going on? You know, EA has their EA Play event, their official EA Play event this week, which we'll talk about here in a sec. Is this in order to try to pull some attention from that, even though that's like on Thursday and this is being revealed on Monday? Um, yeah, I don't know. It it seems like my initial thought they were going to have was I thought this was going to see be the Division Heartland, that we we're going to see a bit about that free-to-play ad- adaptation of uh, the Division Heartland. Um, but no, it doesn't. It doesn't really seem like that's what's going to happen. Uh, so, you know, I'm going to be watching with interest to see exactly what this game is. If it is exactly this Battle Cat thing, and it is that you know free to play multiplayer, you know team v team v team type of game, or or kind of how they're all going to break it down. But you know, the one thing I will say about Ubisoft is even if I don't like all of their games. At least they try stuff. Um, at least they kind of go for it. I, I think again, people are going to probably be pretty disappointed if uh. There's, you know, more Splinter Cell without there being an official Splinter Cell. But, hey, here we go. And, yeah, so I guess you'll all know by the time you're listening to this whether it's any good or not. So let me know on on the social media whether you thought it was good, whether you thought it was not so good. Kind of just the thoughts in general about, you know, whatever this new Ubisoft project is. And I would love to hear why you didn't think they talked about it at Ubisoft Forward. What, What was the point of pushing this off a month? Was it as simple as logistics? Was it as simple as covid and putting together trailers is hard or do you think there's something else there so just a couple updates there from ubisoft moving on to something both surprising and not surprising i guess we've had some rumors for a while that netflix was looking at getting into the game business and there was it wasn't really clear as to whether that was them being more aggressive with licensing their IP and getting more games created off of the things they own, or were they actually going to be adding video games to their services? Well, according to Bloomberg, it looks like that they're going to start adding video games to a streaming service starting in 2022, though other rumors have come out and said that they might be sooner than that. So we'll have to kind of wait and see what happens there. Uh, but to head up these plans, and I'm reading from the story over on Games Games Radar from Herian's Crier, um, and the story says, Netflix is reportedly expanding into video games next year. That's according to a new report from Bloomberg, which has people familiar with Netflix plans who claim the company will offer video games through its streaming service starting next year in 2022. 
To head up these plans is former Facebook, Oculus, and EA Mobile executive Mike Verdu. The report claims that Verdu has now been hired at Netflix to spearhead the new initiative from the streaming company. And additionally, the video game offerings from Netflix will apparently be added as another genre alongside the TV subgenres. Finally, the Blueborn report claims that the additions of video games to Netflix won't come at an extra cost to subscribers. Thankfully, it would appear that Netflix has no current plans to charge extra for people looking to take advantage of its video game offerings, which is surely welcome to the news to those highly anticipating Netflix new venture. Now, streaming video games is something that we've had many, many conversations about. And at this point, nobody really seems to have gotten it fully right. It seems to be a nice additive, but not like the way to play games right now. However, there's going to be a company that theoretically might be able to get it right. It seems like Netflix might be it. Right, like Netflix has really been one of the big pioneers when it can't, comes to streaming content. Now, granted, video game content and movie content slash TV show content are drastically different. And I'm not a text expert. Maybe the everything involved with streaming these two mediums is completely different. I I don't know, uh, but it seems like that if there is a company who could potentially get it right, it seems like maybe Netflix could be the one. Uh, especially if it's at no added cost to subscribers. And I think, you know, this is something that Xbox is doing really well right now with their streaming is this additive. It's not this thing that you pay for separately. It's not this thing that you, that is meant to be the best way to play a game. It is this extra way that if you're on the go, if you are, you know, and it sounds like soon you'll be able to stream games while you download them, uh, on over X cloud, which is, which is awesome. You know, it's this additive service to just make things a little bit more convenient for you. Maybe you want to try a game before you commit to downloading it, whatever it might be. Streaming really right now seems to be that additive service. So for Netflix, I'll be really interested to know like what they're able to do to make it good enough that if I am streaming Netflix on my PlayStation 5, that I just flip to the streaming games and choose to stream a game from there rather than quitting the app and going to play the game natively from my PS5. So that's what I'll be really interested to see is if they're able to do that and if they're able to do that in a way that others who have tried have not been able to successfully do yet. Obviously, Google tried and they're not, they have not abandoned the business, but it seems like they're trying to abandon the business, at least the business of making their own games. Um, you know, and we have Amazon doing their thing, which, you know, seems to be hit and miss right now. And all of them have some flaws. Some of them work really well sometimes, but I don't think any of them work really well all the time. Uh, and that's the tough part about video games is the all the time thing is what matters because latency and, and controller, lack of controller response and things is, is pretty uh, devastating to a game not being enjoyable. So we'll see if Netflix is able to uh, crack that nut, so to speak. But speaking of watching Netflix on my PlayStation 5, a kind of tied to the story is that a Netflix data mine uncovered hints to PlayStation and Ghost of Tsushima in connection to this all this streaming news. So this also over from Games Radar um, by Hope Bellingham. The story says, quote, PlayStation images of a DualSense controller and Ghost of Tsushima have been discovered in the Netflix app by a data miner. Data miner Steve Mosier claims that they've found several traces of Netflix's Endgame project in the streaming services apps. Excuse me. Netflix's Endgame project in the streaming service apps data and that it has a working title of Shark. Mosier shared in a tweet that they've also found images of a DualSense controller and Ghost of Tsushima hinting towards some kind of Sony partnership with the service. Now, the article goes on from there, but this would be pretty interesting if... PlayStation is deciding to partner with Netflix for this, and especially if they're deciding to partner with their first-party games. Now, back in the day, you'll remember, there was a big hoopla because Netflix, Netflix, excuse me, PlayStation boss Jim Ryan uh, had talked about there was going to be some sort of answer to Game Pass coming. Now, I don't think that having games available streaming is that answer. But maybe their answer is having access to games in multiple ways. Right now, you know, the answer to right now, Game Pass is so awesome because it's on just about everything, right? You can play it on PC, you can play it on your Xbox. It's coming to more things. It's going to come natively to televisions and all that good stuff in the future. And maybe PlayStation is like, hey, you know, we're not sure we can do that, but we can partner with all these places. 
so that you can have the games available wherever you want them. Now, the hard part about this, though, is that if I play Ghost of Tsushima through Netflix and I also played it on my PlayStation 5, what's how do saves work? How Am I able to like cross save? Am I able to like have my saves go across those different formats? Is it something where I can go to a hotel room and sign into my Netflix account and play Ghost of Tsushima, you know, and have my save just be there and sunk from the cloud? Like, I don't know. Uh, those are the things that I'll, it'll be very interesting to find out how that's going to work. But, you know, I am all for PlayStation making their games more available. And this would make the, a really easy way for their games to be available on PC. Um, that's something that, you know, PlayStation, we've seen more and more that they're having more games come out on computer and, and your personal computer, if you would. And using Netflix or some something like that is a really easy way uh, to make far more games available much, much quicker um, just through streaming. Uh, so we'll see what happens there or what you know, is all to do about this. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe they're just placeholder images or placeholder items put together by Netflix in order to put everything together. I can't imagine that's true, but maybe, you know, this is a big to do. Maybe it's a little to do, uh, but either way, you know, listener, I'd be curious what your thoughts are. Do you think PlayStation teaming with Netflix is an interesting thing? Is it not interesting thing? Um, love to know your thoughts. All right, our next story, just kind of moving along here. We're getting close to the end here, I promise, dear listener. Uh, but EA Play is this week. Um, but you know what? All we really know about EA Play right now is that there's going to be the revival of a much-loved franchise. So we all pretty much know at this point. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say Lost Planet was going to be there, and it is totally not Lost Planet. Dead Space. Dead Space is what uh, the revival we, we, we know is coming. So Dead Space is going to be there. But we also know a lot of things that aren't going to be there. So EA has confirmed that there will be no new Star Wars games at EA Play. And the team that is making the new Skate game has confirmed that Skate will not be there. Though, again, this keeps happening. You will be getting a little surprise tomorrow uh, slash yesterday, if you listen to this on Tuesday, about Skate. We don't know what that is yet, but they did say that, in general, Skate will not be at EA Play. So, for me, this is all signs again that we should just get away with kind of third-party quote-unquote conferences. Now, EA Play is far enough removed from E3 that I think this is kind of definitely their own thing. This is kind of like a Ubisoft forward. This is kind of like um, doing a small show like that. I mean, even like a state of play from PlayStation. But I think that third-party publishers should go more towards the small direct style uh, presentation rather than kind of having us think that there's this big press conference going on because I just don't think they have the content in general to support it. And more and more gamers are saying that they don't want to know about things super, super early, right? Like don't announce a game that we're going to play five years from now. We want to know what's going to be out in five months from now. And it's hard to do when you're, you know, even a company as big as EA or a company as big as Activision, who obviously doesn't do anything like this. Um, but I, I, I think it's worthwhile to think about the partners that you have if you're EA, if you're Square Enix, if you're Ubisoft, and say, do we really need to do these kind of bigger press conference style presentations, or are we okay teaming up with our third party publisher or with our publishers who, or excuse me, teaming up with the first parties uh, and joining them at their conferences or joining them during their presentations, or maybe just doing smaller individual bite sized ones really focused on uh, the game so that the, the, you know, one particular game. So the community of that game could be there. Like if you did like a Titanfall one, man, I think that would blow up. People would love that. Uh, so, you know, EA play, I'm going to try to watch it this week. I, my hype for it's pretty low though. At this point, it just doesn't seem like they're going to have too, too much that's going on there. Uh, again, I think people are really excited for dead space, but outside of that, I'll be really interested to see what we see there. Um, and if it's worth having this huge presentation or this big presentation uh, with all eyes on it, you know, is it going to be able to deliver We'll have to wait and see. One of the biggest stories, though, this week, or probably the biggest story, uh, was the confirmation and the ability to now pre-order the Steam Deck, which is Valve's PC handheld. Um, some are calling it the answer to the Switch, um, but it's out in December. Now, I don't know if it's the answer to the Switch. I think it's a pretty different thing. Um, but, hey, you know... <laughs> Internet's gonna internet. So another story from Games Radar and Austin Wood over there. Uh, it says that Valve will release a new handheld gaming system called the Steam Deck this December. 
effectively giving every game on Steam the portability of the Nintendo Switch, which also isn't true because, you know, it's running a Linux or a Linux, a Linux OS. Um, and, you know, some Windows games are, are not going to necessarily work on that. But that's okay. That's a whole other story you can read more about. Uh, maybe they'll have that sorted out by December. But anyway, uh, the company announced that the new handheld today, starting at $399 and scaling up to $649 with additional internal storage and accessories. The Steam Deck comes fully loaded with thumbsticks, a D-pad, touch trackpads to mimic mouse movements, and face buttons as well as shoulder and back buttons. The basic 399 Steam Deck supports 64 gigabytes of internal storage and comes with a carrying case. For 529, you can upgrade to 256 gigabytes of faster storage on an NVMe SSD, like the ones used in the PS5 and Xbox Series X, and get an exclusive Steam Profile bundle. Look at how fancy that is. At the top end of 649, you get 512 gigabytes of space on a high-speed NVMe SSD, plus a model with a premium anti-glare etched glass screen, and it comes with exclusive accessories, including a virtual keyboard, theme, and a special case. So there was a lot of hype and excitement about this product, and it does look pretty cool as someone who enjoys a good handheld. Uh, I am excited to see Valve's foray into this. Now, one of the reasons I find this most interesting is that you'll remember back in the day when um, Valve was pushing the uh, computers that were, I don't remember, Steam boxes. That's what I was looking for. Um, when they were talking about Steam boxes, there was never an official Valve one. They were all from partners that were like, hey, here's a Steam box, uh, you know, an, an affordable way to get into gaming that's not going to be super, super complicated for PCs. Uh, but Valve never made one of their own. Like, I don't recall ever there being a Valve Steam box, uh, which always made me kind of curious because i'm like well if you believe in this initiative and you're valve who's making you know <clears throat> vr goggles and all this other stuff hardware like why aren't you making your own steam box like do you truly believe in this thing do you truly support this initiative uh but hey here they come out with their own handheld pc basically uh called the steam deck now important thing to know that base model at three at 400 bucks is only 64 gigabytes uh yeah for some computer games uh, that ain't that ain't gonna fly. Uh, 64 gigabytes is uh, not much. Even 256 gigabytes, like the only thing you'd be able to play is Call of Duty. Um, so if you're a Call of Duty person, you're really not gonna fit anything else on there uh, at that size. So that is one pretty significant drawback. Now, if you're really just looking for playing some, you know, indie titles and some smaller titles, <coughs> excuse me, that have you know maybe not pushing the next uh, the cutting edge of graphic technology you'll still be able to get a decent amount of content on there uh, but if you're looking at playing some of those you know bigger um, some of those top 10 on steam type games uh, you might struggle in, in getting a number of games onto this system so it, i think it's an interesting situation uh i i think it's a, a cool move by valve to create this i am not going to try to pre-order one i didn't try to pre-order one it, the price is i think really good for what you're getting but uh for how often i play pc games you know I, I think maybe a little bit much now maybe i'd play them more if i had them in a handheld version uh but i'm really interested to see how this does i know a lot of people have been uh, posting pictures of getting their pre-orders uh you can find them on ebay already for an insane price uh so people kind of get their pre-orders in and trying to turn around and flip these uh, but hey, don't a don't do that, and uh, b don't buy them if you see that because hey, you know this isn't supposed to come out until December, so who knows if it'll even hit that December date. Uh, so I'd love though to hear a listener what you think about the Steam Deck. I, I want to know if this is something you're interested in. Do you think that this is going to give new life to you know PC gaming on the go? Uh, there is going to be a dock available for this later, so you can dock it and then play it on like a monitor or a television. Um, so you, you will have the ability to do that, but. Um, overall, I think, like I said, this is a cool product. I just don't know exactly if it is for me. And there are just some weird things about it since it is basically a portable PC. Um, it's kind of like a even more, <laughs> I don't want to say dumbed down, but even a, a slimmed down gamified laptop really is what it is. And, you know, for some of the games, you will have to install Windows on it because of the anti-cheat software that some games have doesn't run in Linux. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see kind of how all of this works and, and what problems there are, especially when it comes out and people get their hands on it. Uh, but to start, I'm excited. I'm interested. I'm glad that this is a direction that people are going and a direction that Valve is choosing to go. Uh, and hopefully... You know, PlayStation said they were looking at this, um, <laughs> maybe with the intent of raising the price of the PS5. Uh, I, I hope that's not the message that they get from this. I hope the message they get from this is like, yo, uh, handheld gaming is cool, PlayStation, and, and you should have a handheld uh, that works with the PS5 so we can play our PS5 games on the go. That would be sweet. And I guess potentially theoretically, especially if, you know, uh, PlayStation does do, you know, 
there is a PlayStation Now app, so I guess you could theoretically, you know, play a PlayStation Now on this, I would guess. Um, and Netflix, like if that PlayStation streaming deal is there and obviously with xCloud and everything, you kind of don't need this because you can already do that on your phone. Uh, but hey, you know, kind of kind of a lot of things to consider, uh, but you could theoretically put Game Pass on PC on here too. So there's, there's a lot of things that you could do here um, that are pretty interesting that, you know, I, I will be very excited to see what others do and then maybe down the road uh, decide to jump in it myself all right well everyone that is it for this week you know i I hope you appreciated the solo episode i'm going to go ahead and give my recommendations for a well-rounded life as we wrap up here but again just hey thanks for hanging out with me um and, and thanks for allowing this unique different take on uh board with video games we'll be back to quote-unquote normal next week um but as we get close this is episode 196 we're almost at episode 200 so if you have ideas thoughts on um things you'd like to see us do for 200 or just you know how you want us to handle the show moving forward if you have ideas for segments segments you like segments you don't like things you want us to add things you want us to take away uh let us know you know we're, we're happy to do that and making any adjustments or changes um 200 kind of seems like the place to do it so josh and i are, have been talking privately about that Um, but we'd like to have your feedback as well so if you have ideas or thoughts or comments on that please let us know Um, my recommendation for a well-rounded life though is uh i know i've encouraged people to go outside their typical comfort zones when it comes to music and i'm going to encourage that one more time um potentially depending on what kind of music you listen to i don't know this might be in your wheelhouse right now i've been trying to get into jazz jazz is something that uh, was something I've I've never really appreciated, but I always wanted to. I, it's not that I don't like it. I just didn't really fully like grasp it or grok it or understand it. And though I was someone who was actively involved in music in high school and and you know it's almost what I went to college for was music performance. Uh, I, I, jazz was just kind of one of those spots that I didn't have a lot of connection to. It wasn't something I participated in. Um, but I, I've decided in my old age, you know, it's, it's time to expand my horizons even further. Um, so I've, I've been looking and listening to more jazz than I ever have in my entire life. Um, so if you are someone who's potentially interested in getting into jazz, um, I'm going to recommend an album. And that album is an old album, and it is, I have learned, kind of like a standby of, of jazz. And that is what recommended as it, one of the best of all, of all time albums, but also a really accessible way to start listening to it and, and understand kind of what jazz is trying to do. And that album is called Time Out. Uh, by the Dave Brubeck Quartet. It's from like 1959, so it's pretty old, um, but it is on Spotify, um, and so you can check it out there. But like I said, if you are potentially interested in jazz and, and kind of want to get a taste for it and, and find an album that's pretty accessible um, and is definitely jazzy, but not so much so that it's like, oh, I don't really understand what's going on here, or what they're trying to accomplish, uh, check out Time Out by the Dave Brubeck Quartet. So with that, thanks for joining us, everyone. In addition to finding us on Twitter and Instagram at BoardWithVG, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash BoardWithVG. So please check us out over there. As always, if you want to communicate in the more long form or if you're just not feeling social media, you can send us an email to BoardWithVG at gmail.com. We take all of our stuff with hashtag BoardWithVG, so please use that hashtag on social media as well because we'd love to check out what you all are doing and whatever podcast service you're listening to us on. We encourage you to give us a stellar rating. Whether that's the, you're downloading us from the Dice Tower Network feed or the standalone Board with Video Games feed. You can find me on all the usual places, Twitter, Instagram, PlayStation Network, Xbox Live, Board Game Geek, all at PsychoCross, C-Y-C-O-C-R-O-S-S. As always, if you have suggestions for future topics, be sure to reach out to us on the social media because we want to talk about what you want to hear about. And remember, everyone, whether it be board games or video games, never stop gaming. Never stop gaming.